Well, I'm glad you're here with us. This is uh, our second week in our Experiencing God series. Many of you have purchased the workbooks to be able to go through this with us. Some of you are here in this building now. Some of you may be online watching and following along as we go through this Experiencing God series. And so we're in week two, so that means tomorrow you start the next day and you have these devotions that go through each day of the week. Uh, So there's five days, so that means if you miss a day or two, you can catch up, okay? Don't burden yourself with trying to catch up, though. Let me say this. If you get behind, just jump in where we're at, okay? Don't worry about catching up, all right? Just jump in where we're at, hold on, and uh, we're going to have a good time together. Let me ask you this. This morning, uh, if you have your cell phone with you, would you take it out and just put it, lay it face down on your lap, okay? Just put it on your lap, take your phone out, uh, lay it down on your lap. If you don't have your phone with you, um, you're probably... Maybe you left it at home. Maybe you leave it in your car as you're in here because you just don't want to be distracted. I don't know. Good for you. Um, But if you don't have your phone with you, chances are you're probably feeling a little bit of anxiety, anxiety, a little anxious right now. Uh, In fact, in December of 2021, there was a study done by reviews.org. And what they found was 74% of people feel this anxious and anxiety when they don't have their phone with them. When they leave it at home, when they leave it somewhere, they feel anxious. In fact, 48% of people say that they even feel a sense of anxiety uh, and panic when their cell phone battery is getting to almost about 20%. Just that anticipation of not being able to use your phone gives you that anxiety and that anxious feeling. We value our phones a lot. We love having them with us. They do so much. We've got so much of our life on our phones. In fact, 45% of people say that their phone is their most most valuable possession. So in a fire, the first thing you're going to grab is your phone. That's about what half of people are saying, essentially. One of the neat statistics that came from this study, this is the real reason. I'm giving you all these other just for fun. But this is the real reason, okay, right here. I want to ask you first, how many times a day do you think you check your phones? How many times a day do you think you check your phones? All right, here it is. On average, Americans check their phones 344 times a day. Okay, that is once every four minutes. So that means so far through the service, you've probably checked your phones about five to seven times. Is that right? Is that about, um, okay? We love our phones. We're so distracted by them and we look to them so often. 344 times a day, that's up 31% from last year. So it's only increasing, it's only growing as we keep going and as technology keeps advancing So what this averages out to is about two hours and 54 minutes a day that Americans are on their phones. That's what this means. In the year 2022, that means we're going to spend a month and a half, 44 days on our phones. That's a lot, okay? We're halfway through that. So you've already spent, what is that, six weeks? You've already spent a little bit of that on your phone. So, but here's the thing. We spend so much time on our phone. Here's what I want to do now. I want to test you, okay? Without looking at your phone, think in your mind, what is the app on the bottom right-hand corner of your home screen? If you have an iPhone or something, I'm not talking about the dock at the bottom that stays there when you swipe through your pages. I'm talking about on the home screen, what is the bottom right app on your phone? All right, now go check. Go check and see if you were right. Let's see if you were correct. If you could remember. You look at your phone 344 times a day, you should know. You should remember this. It should be easy. All right. How many of y'all got it right? Just raise a hand. We're going to do our own study here. How many of y'all got it right? Did you get it? Okay. That's not terrible. That's all right. All right. Now put your phones up. All right. Don't get distracted. Put your phones up. 
All right, you can look at them again in about four minutes. So go ahead, put those back. Don't get distracted. We still have a little ways to go. Um, Now, one more thing before we move on. Every one of your phones has something on it, usually on the lock screen, especially on the home screen. You have the time on there. You just looked at your phone. How many of you noticed what time it was? Do any of you remember what time it said on your phone? Nobody? Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that at all. Here's the thing. So as soon as you go to your, your phone, on the lock screen, it has the time there. As you look at your home screen, it has it up at the top. And what's amazing is when our focus is directed to that lower right-hand corner, we can completely miss what's just a few inches away on that same exact screen. Maybe you've seen a video like this. Here's another example. Um, There's a video where they'll have you like, for instance, count. Okay, how many times do these people throw the football back and forth? And you're counting, you're going through this whole video, and then at the end they ask you, okay, how many times did you count? And then they give you the answer. And then they also ask you this question, did you see the panda bear? You're like, what panda? What are you talking about? They go back and they show you the video, and sure enough, as the people are throwing the football back and forth, all of a sudden, here comes a pan- somebody in a panda costume, not a real panda bear, um, but somebody in a panda costume walks out on screen and then walks right off. What's amazing is that our attention can be so focused with where we're looking at the footballs, at the app on the lower right-hand corner, whatever it may be, that we miss completely something else right around it. That's how important our focus is. That's how important it is with where we look. Because where we look is where we're attentive and it's where we're focused. And so as we're talking this morning, what we're talking about is looking to God. Looking to God. If the Bible is God-centered, we should be God-centered in everything we do. All of our lives should be about God. And so then where we're looking should be directly to God. And when we look to God we're going to miss the things that are not important. But if we're just slightly off with our focus and we're looking to other things besides God, it's going to drastically change what we see and where we focus. We could completely miss something there. And so where we look is where we're focused. So where are we looking then? Where are we focusing our attention? We know we spend almost three hours a day looking at our phones, but what else are we looking to? We should be looking to God. And as we narrow our focus on God, everything else becomes out of focus. It's like that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we focus on the eternal and the things of God, we gain a proper perspective of the temporal. It's not that the temporal doesn't matter. It's not that the things of this world does not matter. It's that we are to utilize it. We are to steward it. We are to manage it and ultimately use it for the glory of God to the eternal purposes that he has. And so as we're looking to God, it directs our focus. It directs our motives and our attentions and all that we have to do what he would have us to do. So let's look at Jesus this morning. I think he's the best example we can look to. So let's look at Jesus' example together. We see many times where Jesus is looking to God. We see in Scripture, he talks about, I can do nothing apart from the Father. He does nothing on his own. So we're going to look at this verse together. In fact, we're going to look at several passages, and here's what I want you to do. Uh, There are parts of it where it's underlined. I want you all to read that out loud with me, okay? So I'm going to read through the verse, and as we get there, 
Y'all read it out loud with me, okay? Is everybody okay with that? Can we do that? Let's try that together, okay? Um, John 5.30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. Hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Good job. So we see this play out in Jesus' life. He sees himself as serving the Father and doing the will of the Father, not his own. He knows that he is sent by the Father. In fact, in John, we see about 30 times where he says this over and over again to his disciples, to other people, I'm sent by the Father. And therefore, it directs, as he's looking to God, as he's focused on God, it directs what he does while he's here on earth. And so we see this, John 6, 38. Here we go again, right? You ready? For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 9, Jesus' disciples see this man who's born blind, and they say, Jesus, who was it? Was it this man or his parents who sinned that he was born blind? And here's Jesus' response. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then in John 11, we see this again where he's raising Lazarus from the dead. And so he tells him to move the stone. And so they take away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. We see he says this many times. Something else he says quite a bit is that his time has not yet come. And so Jesus knew what to do, but he also knew when to do it because he wasn't about his own plan and his own purpose. He was looking to God, focusing on God, and allowing God to dictate what he did. He was all about the Father's will, his purpose, and Jesus was about fulfilling the purpose of the Father. And so by looking to God, Jesus adjusts. He adjusts his mission, he focuses, and then it's his obedience to God. As we look to God, it requires an adjustment of our lives. And in order to make the adjustments that we need, it comes through obedience. Adjustment to God requires obedience to God. Now, let me go ahead and confess, okay? Um, my kids are not perfect, okay? Um, they come by it naturally. They get it from Sydney. And um, pray for them. Pray for them. It's okay. She's not in here. She's teaching the kids. So, uh, but here's the thing, what I find and what you may find if you teach kids, if you have kids, if you're around kids at all, um, to get them to do what you want them to do, you kind of come to this point where, at least for me, I say this a lot, look at me, look at me, look at me. Anybody else do that? Does anybody else find that? Is that just me? Maybe it's just me. Okay, maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. But I find that I've got to tell them, look at me, look at me. You know, it even helps if you throw in their middle name, like Madison Lane, you look at me, look at me, right? Tinley Grace, Hudson Germain. His middle name's not Jermaine, but his middle name's Hudson. But if you go past that, it's, so you just make up middle names with him. But you tell him, look at me, look at me, right? And the whole idea is if we can get them to look at us, maybe they will finally hear us the hundredth time. Maybe they'll finally hear us. Maybe they'll finally listen. And what we understand is there's something about looking and focusing that affects our obedience. And so as we look to God... We understand that that affects our obedience to God. We have to be obeying him, but that comes first through looking to him. So read this out loud with me together. We're going to look at this verse, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Will you read this out loud? After this manner, therefore pray you, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Again, we see Jesus here teaching his disciples how to pray. And what he shows them is we're looking to the Father. We're looking for his will above our own, for his will to be done on earth. And as we're looking to God, we begin to see our sin, ourselves in this same way that Jesus saw himself. We are sent by God to obey him and join him where he's working, as we talk about in this series. That's our whole purpose. Again, we want to look at, I'm going to look at a few verses. Luke 9 says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Good job. Some of y'all are catching on still. That's a test. I know. I'm sorry. Y'all are going to have to stay awake this service. I'm so sorry. So Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then in John 4, for here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Are y'all catching this theme? We're not just fulfilling our own plans. We're seeking to fulfill the mission of God. And the only way we can join God in his mission and be on mission with him is to understand that we are sent. If we are sent as Jesus is sent, then there is someone greater who's sending us and on mission for them not ourselves. This is why we end every one of our services. It's a way of encouragement. It's a way of reminder. As we leave out, what do we say every time? You are sent. It's a reminder that we are not our own. It's not just to fulfill what we want to do during the week and what we desire and what we think will be good and what we want to do. It's all about making sure we remember we are sent by someone for a purpose and our purpose is to fulfill that purpose. You're not your own. But ultimately, it's not just God sending us out for tasks. He's not just saying, all right, now you've got this task. It's not just a servant. We are servants of God, but it's a different relationship. He calls us not only servants, he calls us children, sons and daughters, because he wants to have this intimate relationship with us. And so a call from God is a call to a relationship with God. He doesn't just give us processes and, and programs and principles or activities. He gives us himself. He wants an intimate, personal relationship with you. And as we grow in this relationship, we're more likely to be looking to God. And as we're looking to God, it directs our obedience to God. This relationship with God then allows us also to learn his heart. We learn more about the Father. We learn his heart and his desire and his plans and his ways because God functions in a different way than we do. He functions in a very different way. As much as we think that we're God, as much as we think that we know what needs to happen next in our lives and what should be happening and what would be right to be happening, we're way off base. In fact, you've probably had scenarios like this in your own life where you have desired, you've, you've wanted these certain things, or you've even prayed about, God, this job, this relationship, this financial investment, 
moving, whether it's across the country or across the world, whatever it is, these things that you wanted to happen, you thought would happen, and you thought should happen, and then eventually it doesn't work out. You're frustrated, you're angry, you don't understand it. And then maybe, if you've lived long enough, you probably have at least one of these stories where later you find out down the road, thank you, God, for saying no to my plans. Thank you, God, for answering no to my prayers. Because if that had worked out, this would have been terribly wrong. And so we're reminded of this truth. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He tells us, just stop. He says, listen, the way you reason, the way you think through things is not the way I think. Well, I think God would do this. I couldn't imagine a God that doesn't do this. I, could, I can't imagine that whatever it is, he says, no, 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 we're worlds apart. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God works in ways we cannot fathom. We are finite beings and he is infinite. There's no way we can know his thoughts and plans perfectly. And that's exactly why we have to be looking to God, because though we don't always understand what God's doing, we don't know how he's doing it, we can trust why he's doing it, because he's all about his glory. He's always working things out for his glory, and then ultimately, if it's for his glory, that is for our good. And so the thing is, what are we looking to then? We are to be looking to God, but what are we looking to instead? And a way to gauge this is simply looking at what we're looking for. What we're looking for is what we're looking to. So what are we looking for in our lives? What are we looking for week to week, day to day? And whatever it is you're most hoping for in life, that's what you're looking for. It's exactly what you think will satisfy you, what you think will fulfill you, what you think will make you happy, will make you content. If only you had that job or that promotion If only you had that success or that that relationship or that marriage or that child or that family. If only I had health and comfort and safety and security. If only I had that house or that retirement. Whatever it is that you think will make you content, that is what you're looking for. And that's what we're ultimately looking to then. But unfortunately, we know the new iPhone is no longer the newest iPhone. We know that as we get more money, we find new ways to spend more money. And ultimately, we find that enough is never enough if we're looking to the wrong things. But in looking to God, we're able to be content, as Paul says in Philippians 4. He's in prison, and this is what he says, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul, you're in prison. What do you mean you're not in need? That's not five-star service. He says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Remember, he was a part of the people before. When he was Saul, he was a part of the people persecuting Christians. He was part of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. He was an up-and-coming star. By the world's means, he was going to be successful, wealthy, everything you wanted And so he's able to say here confidently, he's had plenty, he's had an abundance, and now he's in hunger and he's in need. But what he says is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Does this sound like somebody who's looking to wealth and comfort and security and safety, looking to relationships, looking to anything other than God for his contentment and satisfaction in life? 
One of the best ways to be looking to God is by looking to his word. This is where he most clearly reveals himself to us. And so spending time with God, allowing him to speak to you through his word by him revealing himself to us. Because the Bible is God-centered. That's the best way to be looking to God. The the American Bible Society um, just released this past April their 12th annual State of the Bible report. And this sheds light on cultural uh, trends of faith and Bible among Americans. And there are some interesting stats, but I want to just point out two main ones. They've been doing this since 2011, and their percentage of Bible users has typically been, throughout their entire time so far, 11 years, 48 to 53 percent of Americans have identified as Bible users. This year, in 2022, that has dropped to 39 percent among adults in America. When asked about their two greatest frustrations surrounding reading the Bible, a third of people said they never seem to have enough time. A third of Gen Z and millennials said that their biggest frustration was not knowing where to start. Let me just say this, including myself here, we can feel this weight of, I don't have enough time. But as we just heard, we spend nearly three hours a day on our phones. What's great is there is a Bible app that you can get on your phone. And so as you're spending three hours on your phone, take 10 minutes and just read the Bible. Take a step. Something is better than nothing. Take that step of growing in God's Word. If you're with us in uh, working through the workbook of experiencing God, there's Scripture in there. Take this summer and allow that to be a time for you to grow your habit of Bible reading. If you don't have that book and you're not going through that study, listen, I would encourage you, jump in the book of John. Look at the life of Christ. That's where I've been. And so look at that and just read through it. But start somewhere. Start with something. Start with a little bit. Grow your appetite and see how God works through that by directing your attention and your focus to God. We have to be growing our appetite through this time together. We have to control our desires, even though we might not naturally desire it. I don't, know what, I don't know what it is for you this morning as you're here. I don't know what it is you need to take away. But maybe, maybe you're looking to something else instead of looking to God. And you need to turn your focus to God. Maybe there's something that you're reluctant about. And you need to simply obey God and what he's calling you to do. Maybe you need to just realize that God wants a relationship with you, and you need to develop that relationship. Maybe it's that you don't have a relationship with God in the first place, and you need to respond to that invitation that he offers to all men. Regardless of what it is, I want to challenge you just to be intentional this week. What's one thing you can be doing? What's one thing you can be doing to growing your relationship with God, to be looking to God, directing your focus directing your obedience to God. As we end our time, I want you to stand, and we're going to read this last passage, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, or as the NIV says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God, we come to you, and we thank you that you pursue a relationship with us. You are the God who sees us, Elroy. And because you see us, because you pursue us, God, we can look to you. God, direct our attention and our affections to you. Help us throw off those weights that cling to us, the sins, those temptations, everything that vie for our attention and our affection. God, help us to look to you and focus on you. God, would it direct and impact our lives in such a way that it would affect our obedience? Would we see ourselves as sent by you, on mission for you? God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.